Today's episode is sponsored by Expectful, a guided meditation and mindfulness app for your fertility, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. It's easy and fun to use as well as affordable. And did you know that science shows meditation can reduce anxiety and improve your relationships? Head to expectful.com slash motherbirth for an exclusive one month free trial just for motherbirth listeners. You know, I, I'm still thinking about the day. It was like, I, I don't know. I get choked up because like you really feel like, like joy, like, and, and it's like a feeling that you feel in your, in your whole being. And I hadn't felt joy in so long. And I kind of felt like, you know, it finally happened for me. We believe that not just babies are born, mothers are born too. We're your hosts. Lara, a labor and delivery nurse and aspiring midwife, and Melissa, a mother and doula. Welcome to Motherbirth, a space for thought-provoking and inspirational conversations about birth and the deep exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey everyone, welcome to the show today. Lara and I are interviewing a special guest that is very far away in the world right now, and we're very excited because we recently were talking about wanting to have someone on the show who could share both sides of the experience of surrogacy. And so Sybil is going to be sharing her story with us today. Um, we can't wait to get into that. Sybil, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and then we will dive into your journey into motherhood. Okay. Well, hello. Thanks for having me. Um, I am a native New Yorker, born and raised in Manhattan. Um, I am been married to my husband now for seven years. Uh, we've known each other as friends. We've actually known each other for 17 years. Mm. And, uh, you know, we uh, are, I feel like he's my best friend. Uh, I know people always say that, but uh, he's been there to very, like to, to support me in, in every aspect. Um, I guess I'm just a regular person. I felt like I've always liked kids and always wanted to have one. And I kind of, you know, did the, what, you know, was expected, went to college, worked and traveled and kind of enjoyed myself. And then once it came time to have children, uh, I thought it would be, uh, you know, pretty easy. And, um, I guess uh, I found out later that it it wasn't. So that's kind of mm. how I ended up to, you know, using the surrogacy as an option. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about what challenges you faced. Did you try to get pregnant for a number of years? Did you try any fertility treatments or anything like that before deciding on surrogacy? Yeah. So um, I guess I would call myself uh uh, it's a rare situation. So I had uh, gotten pregnant naturally uh, and had a miscarriage. And um, after the miscarriage, which is, you know, pretty common. However, I ended up um, developing antibodies in my uterus, which mm. is not something that was discovered uh, until 2015. So, you know, I, I had a natural miscarriage. Um, and then, you know, like, we were, you know, doing the regular route, going to the GYN. Uh, and, so, sorry to interrupt, Sybil. How old were you at this time? Uh, so uh, when we were, like, starting, uh, let's say, what, 30, 35. Okay. So, you know, I, I had a natural miscarriage. And um, so, you know, I, I had the miscarriage and the GYN said, okay, well, we'll, we'll test the, you know, we'll test the uh fetus and see if there's any issues and the first thing they always um, assume is something genetic um so they tested uh the fetus and um everything was normal so at that point they were mm -hmm. like well you know you're 35 why don't you try IVF um so I you know went to uh IVF clinic and uh, you know we started on that process and um we did all the tests that you could, you know, possibly think of and everything came out negative. We didn't have any genetic disorders. Uh, I had a large, uh, you know, egg reserve. Um, my husband as well, we were both seemingly healthy on paper uh, and everything was fine. So after, you know, when I did my first egg retrieval, uh, they took out 35 eggs and uh, which, which is, you know, a fairly good amount. 
and 19 had fertilized and, you know, we were thinking, okay, well, everything is fine. Uh, you know, we'll get pregnant. And, um, so out of those 19, initially they said, you know, we, we did like all the testing, PGD and everything. And they said, well, you have five really good embryos. And we said, why don't we just, you know, implant two? So I implanted two and, um, I ended up getting pregnant, uh, you know, with both and then they split. So we had triplets and, uh, you know, everything was going fine. You know, as with my natural pregnancy, I also had a heartbeat. Everything was fine up to the ninth week. Mm -hmm. And then at the ninth week with the triplets, you know, heartbeat, everything was fine. And then all of a sudden I go in and there was, you know, no heartbeat. So, Mm -hmm. um, at that point they said, uh, you know, I, they had given me, um, side attack and, you know, basically for it to pass. And unfortunately it, you know, it didn't all, pa- you know, all pass. And I ended up having to have a hysteroscopy. So I thought, mm. okay, well this happened. Um, you know, we have all, all these other embryos we can try again, you know, we can try again. And because, you know, as they said, all my embryos were healthy. I was, you know, I had every test that you could think of, you know, my anatomy was in good shape. Everything was fine. So I was like, okay, we'll try the next one. And then we ended up, you know, this time, just to be more cautious, I implanted one embryo. Mm. And unfortunately, uh, for the next one, it was an ectopic pregnancy, which, you know, happens, can happen during IVF. So, mm-hmm. you know, that ended up um, damaging slightly one of my tubes, but I had uh, laparoscopic surgery and, you know, they fixed everything and everything was fine. I waited a little while. Uh, you know, obviously there's a grieving process and I waited, you know, a few months, but they were like, okay, well, you know, why don't we just get right back to it and we'll try again. And at that point I had two left. So, so I thought, and, um, so I implanted another one and, basically to make a long story short, I kept losing all my pregnancies at nine weeks. Hmm. And it was at that point that they said, okay, well, we're going to test you for like everything. So they started testing me for blood disorders and everything and everything ended up coming up negative. So at that point they said, well, you know, we've done everything within the scope of what like reproductive endocrinologists do. We're going to send you to a reproductive immunologist. Hmm. And so they sent me to the specialist and, uh, you know, as you know, uh, all these things are quite expensive, you know, our insurance covered, you know, quite a bit, but, uh, then, you know, after you do repeat, you know, uh, implantations, you know, transfers and things like that, it, you know, the cost was staggering and we, you know, were kind of debating if we still wanted to do this. We had also wanted to, you know, expand our family to adoption. And, uh, during the whole process, we became foster parents. Hmm. And uh, we fostered some kids and which is, you know, a beautiful experience. But, you know, we always wanted I always thought that I was going to have my, uh, you know, a biological child and then eventually we would we would adopt. Mm -hmm. So I started to think, well, maybe it might be the other way around. Um, But anyway, so, you know, we still had the hopes of trying to have our own. Um, Interestingly enough, we thought that we had the five Six months after we had, you know, done the last transfer, I had lost that pregnancy. They ended up telling me that I had, that they made a mistake and that there was another embryo. And, um, yeah, (laughs) which was, uh, you know, obviously a blessing. um, But unfortunately, so, you know, once I went to the, the immunologist at that point, it was, you know, 2015 at that point, and we had already been, you know, on this journey for, for some time. And he had said, well, you know, we just discovered this. It's, a, you know, a rare thing that people can have miscarriages and then their, their uh, uteruses will produce antibodies within the uterus, which is something like before they would say like 1% of miscarriages, like they never knew what it was. And they said, well, this, this is kind of like what that 1% is. Hmm. So basically the body rejects, um, you know, every, every embryo, but it acts like a blood disorder. So there's like no cure 
for it. It has nothing to do with genetics. It's, you know, it's just something kind of like a fluke, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And there's no cure and no uh, FDA protocol or any anything to treat it. So because it acts like a blood disorder, they tried to treat it like a blood disorder. So they ended up giving me like, you know, these blood thinners and all these different medications to try to to treat it as if it was a blood disorder. And unfortunately, I ended up having like an actual miscarriage. I always used to have missed miscarriages. So I would have to have like DNCs. Mm -hmm. And I guess because, you know, from basically you take blood thinners, blood becomes so liquid, you know, and I ended up having an actual miscarriage. I guess the way that the, um, the antibodies work, uh, they, what they do is rob the embryo of oxygen so that's how, you know, the embryo dies in, in the uterus. So by giving me so much, so many blood thinners, I ended up, you know, bleeding, you know, uh, profusely. And, and I lost that embryo at that point. So at that point, I said, you know, um, why don't we revisit this um, and think about surrogacy? Because, you know, I was told that I have he- healthy embryos. The only thing it was, you know, me carrying an actual baby uh, to term. Hmm. And at that, it was at that point that we started pr- pursuing surrogacy. So it sounds like these, you know, these doctors, you know, the immunologists, they're really kind of shooting in the dark. They don't really know yet how to address this situation. And how are you feeling? Are you feeling, I mean, at this point, you've experienced multiple losses, all of these different sort of you know, invasive medical procedures, and now you've got this diagnosis of something that is, you know, unheard of up until this point. Or how are you feeling like a guinea pig? How are you feeling? Well, exactly like a guinea pig. My mama always used to say that I was her little, her little lab rat, her little, <laughs> her little rabbit. <laughs> because, you know, um, first, obviously, I didn't actually need IVF per se, because it wasn't a I guess, an issue of not being able to, you know, to get pregnant, I would get pregnant many times. Um, But unfortunately, because it wasn't discovered, like, at that point, let's say uh, it was something that was well known, it could have been something that like, a regular GYN could have recommended me to this specialist. Mm -hmm. But I guess I had to go through the IVF in order to find out, you know, because the thing about when you go through, you know, reproductive endocrinologists, they kind of go through everything that could possibly be wrong. Um, and then, you know, they, they recommended me to, you know, a doctor that uh, was on the forefront of, you know, these kind of issues. So I did feel, um, you know, I guess you feel like uh, if they're saying everything is, there's nothing wrong, then, you know, why, why does this keep happening? Mm-hmm. And, you know, unfortunately I had, you know, hysteroscopies and uh, laparoscopic surgery and, uh, you know, all these, it, it was just you know, medications because IVF, you know, you take so many Absolutely. medications. And then once I was with the immunologist, we were, you know, I, I even did an experimental treatment, which is kind of like, almost like dialysis where they completely flush my blood. It, it's similar to if somebody had, you know, like a blood disorder while pregnant, it, you know, I went three or four times with like five hour procedures and it's like a complete flushing of the blood. And the thing was, because the antibodies were not in my blood, they were in my uterus. It really didn't yeah. work. Um, so at that point I just, you know, it, it's training on the mind, body and soul. And I mean, not to mention the wallet, uh, it's, um, you know, I mean, at that point, I, you know, I was always thinking, well, maybe I should just, you know, just go straight to adoption. And there's so many kids out there and I want to adopt as well. But, you know, I guess you have this thing where, you know, somebody's telling that you can't do something, but seemingly everything seems fine. Yeah. I was like, well, you know, yeah, if everything's almost- fine. Why can't I have, you know, my own child? Yeah. yeah, it's almost more maddening because there's no answers. And I wanted to ask you too, in this process, like checking in with Paul, what was Paul like in this process and how was he in kind of walking with you through these different things that happened and then making these decisions to keep going? Yeah. Well, you know, I feel like, you know, as, um, 
Well, as, as a woman, you know, when you're carrying your child, you always kind of feel, you know, you feel a baby inside of you. You kind of like know what that feels like. Uh, uh, the man or, you know, whatever, the partner that is not carrying the child will always will feel for you and uh, feel that like helpless because they can't help mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. But they don't know exactly the pain that you're feeling because they're not physically going through it. So he I, he. I'm assuming that he would feel very helpless because he would want to, you know, help me. And he would see me after countless surgeries and um, taking all these medications and, you know, injecting myself with so many things. And, you know, you feel almost like, you know, there's a, I'm assuming a sense of guilt because he would want to probably take that on, but he can't Mm -hmm. because, you know, he just not, not only can he physically not take it on, but there's nothing that he could do to help me. He could just, you know, be there for me. And I guess, you know, it's, 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 it's hard. It's, it's hard for the person going through it, but also the person, you know, there with you because, you know, it's a strain on, on your relationship. Yeah. Yeah, We've had so many people share with us about how incredibly difficult their fertility journeys have been on their relationship. Yeah, you start to question, like, you know, should we have even bothered to do this? Because, um, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's the medical aspect, you know, the surgical aspect. It's not, um, you know, having a child seemingly on paper should be fun, (laughs) but there's no fun. It's very clinical. And then, um, you know, you, you can't like really do anything. You have to like tailor your life around like appointments and treatments and, you know, not even, you know, you can't even have a glass of wine or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Uh, Because, you know, you have to be, you know, all those things decrease fertility and they're not good for you. And, you know, so, you know, you watch what you eat. Like I've done everything from, you know, there's, supplements to decreasing gluten, eliminating gluten, or, you know, obviously taking all the medications and, you know, massages, acupuncture, everything that you could possibly (laughs) think of. Yeah, it's a full-time job. um, Exactly. And that's the other thing, you know, when you're working as well, um, it's also very hard because the one thing I remember about going into the, the clinic, you know, the IVF clinic, and the other thing that, you know, uh, it's same topic, but going into the clinic, I would be there like the, the hours for like, you know, the testing were like from six in the morning to nine mm-hmm. in the morning and the clinics would be full every day. So it's, you know, at that point I saw, well, wow, you know, I'm not the only person going through this, but you know, you have to wake up super early in order to get to these clinics and, you know, get your blood drawn, do all these sonograms and do, you know, all these things uh, that are uncomfortable. And then you have to go back and go to work. Um, so that is, uh, and then when you're doing, you know, certain things like egg retrieval or, you know, whatever the process are when they're monitoring you, you can't do too much exercise or exert yourself because, you know, then you could hurt your ovaries or, you know, like there's like so many things. So you have to be extra careful. Um, and basically, you know, they tell you sit and rest and relax. But when you're anxious about, you know, everything, it's, it's hard to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I can't even, I can't even imagine. I imagine that it must have felt on some level like a relief when you decided that you were done with this part of the journey and were ready to move on to, you know, having a child in a different way. Yes, it was, um, it was, well, first it was, I guess it was a relief to finally find some, like a doctor to tell me, okay, well, this Mm -hmm. is what you have. And Because unfortunately, and I know that I had great doctors and, you know, I, I, I understand kind of their perspective. And I just got to the point where like literally every doctor was like, there's nothing wrong with you. I can't find anything. It just has to be bad luck. And I know probably, you know, that wasn't the best thing to say, but they didn't even Mm -hmm. know what to say. Like, um, so finally finding someone to tell me, okay, well, this is what you have. And, um, I don't necessarily know how to treat it, but I have an idea. It was, um, you know, kind of like, okay, well, we're moving forward. And then once I got to the point where I tried that and I said, okay, I've tried everything 
to try to have it my, you know, a baby myself, I felt like, okay, I'm ready to move on. And, um, you know, also I felt having a surrogate, you know, it's, it's a big financial help for the surrogate. So I kind of felt like I'm doing something for someone Mm -hmm. else as well. It's, um, there's like a charitable aspect to it. Yes. She is doing me. She did me, gave Mm -hmm. me the greatest gift, but I know, um, what, you know, my financial contribution to her and her family is helping her. So it, it felt like, you know, we're two, two women helping each other to achieve a goal. And, you know, I'm helping her and her family and she's helping me to have a family. Yeah. So you had considered adoption. You guys had even fostered children previously. What made you decide to pursue surrogacy instead of going straight to adoption? I know you initially had always thought you'd have your own child first and then adopt. Was it just that, that sort of strategy or, or was like, was surrogacy something new that you considered that you hadn't ever considered before? Well, um, you know, surrogacy is, uh, first of all, before I even knew that anything was wrong, um, I never even thought about surrogacy is not something that I guess you think about, um, unless you're put in that situation. I, I still want to adopt. Um, so because I was doing IVF, they, um, you know, I, I was in contact with many adoption agencies. They say that you have to finish one process and then go on to the next because it's like a conflict. Like, let's say you do become pregnant and then a child becomes free to adopt. You know, what if you're so far along that you can't, you can't go and pick up the child. So they said, yeah. once you're done with one, then you can move on to the next. So what I did initially was um, I, you know, I contacted several agencies, got all the paperwork and said, okay, well, this is what I'm doing. And, um, you know, when I feel like I'm ready to move on to the next step, then I will. And the same thing with the foster care, we fostered, you know, a few kids and, um, I ended up saying, well, now we are going to move on to the next phase. And once I finish with this, then I will open my home again, because basically, you know, the way that works, they call you, like any, any day, any time of the night and say, we, we have a child for you. And, you know, before I would take in the child, at first I was only doing temporary foster care because, you know, I was going through IVF and all these treatments and things. And I just didn't have the time to, to fully commit. Um, because, and also if you foster a child, um, you can't take them out of the country or the, or the state without, you know, the, biological parents, you know, signing off. So I, I knew that, you know, we wanted to either adopt or do the surrogacy and we would do it overseas. So we said, let's wait till we finish. And then, you know, we will revisit that. Um, once this is either, you know, we're lucky and, you know, we are able to have a child through surrogacy or we've exhausted this Avenue and then we will go back and revisit that, uh, adoption and, and foster care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So you've, you've kind of explored and, and participated in every, <laughs> yes, in every different part of it. Wow. So you guys decide that you're going to pursue surrogacy. What happens next? Um, so first, um, you know, it's a lot of research. Uh, I guess nobody really tells you everything that's involved. And literally it's, uh, we have files, <laughs> we have files from, you know, first the IVF and, you know, trying to find agencies and things like that. And then now to the surrogacy. So with surrogacy, uh, it's illegal in the majority of the world with, with the exception of like two other countries besides the United States, it was legal before in other places, but they've since stopped that. So, um, the first thing was, you know, finding, you know, uh, the agencies that, you know, we were comfortable with and, uh, speaking to, you know, to their, you know, they have different liaisons between, you know, you and the agency and the surrogate. So, uh, I actually visited one, uh, so it's the United States, the Ukraine and the Republic of Georgia, which are the, you know, the countries that are, that are, that do it for payment. Yeah. Yeah. So you can do, and so we live in, we live in New York state and it's illegal in New York state. 
Uh, it's legal in New Jersey, California, you know, different states have different mm-hmm. rules. So, um, like for instance, in the New York state, you can do it altruistically, but many doctors won't even do it because, um, you know, it's very hard, you know, they, they will even say if we do it. We're going to do it. We'll have to do it in New Jersey because they want to just, you know, cover themselves just in case anybody does, you know, end up exchanging payments or whatever. So, um, you know, once we found an agency that we liked, uh, we, you know, started researching with them and, you know, we spoke to their contact and um, we wanted to see their success rate. So we spoke to a few other, uh, you know, clients that they had that had, you know, children through them. And then once we felt comfortable, we, you know, we chose an agency and we said, okay, we're, we're going to pursue this. And then from that point, um, you know, it's basically logistics, like trying to find out, you know, how to get there and uh, in, in preparation. So basically it would, is the same sort of preparation as if I were doing IVF, you know, mm-hmm. like no alcohol, no, like you try to stay away from coffee, folic acid, your prenatals, all that, all that stuff. And then... Because um, they're you know, doing a new extraction, correct? Yeah, so... Um, I basically, you know, came, uh, you know, nine months ago to the Republic of Georgia and, uh, you know, we arrived and um, they, you know, you do three weeks prep, which is, you know, uh, progesterone and uh, the hormones and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, they did the egg retrieval and um, then, you know, we did genetic testing, uh, just, you know, obviously we wanted, you know, we came this far, so we wanted to make sure <laughs> we, I always did genetic testing in the IVFs that I did in the States. But, uh, you know, once we found, uh, you know, we did the testing, like, so at this, this time, uh, what happened was since I, I had, a you know, a large amount of eggs and they had given me a lot of medication in the United States. So that's where they took out 35. I had them, I took like half of the amount because, you know, with the, so much medication, you know, it's very uncomfortable because your ovaries become very big mm-hmm. and, you know, it's very uncomfortable. So I said, let's try half medication than I, than I did before. And this time they retrieved uh, uh, 17 eggs and then 10 fertilized and uh, so what we did was we froze five and then we did uh, PGS, which is basically testing every egg for and they test every chromosome. I did in the United States PGD, which is kind of like you do all the eggs together and they and they test for, you know, like your major sort of like, you know, Down syndrome, like, you know, the mm-hmm. the major things. But we did we said, well, you know, while we're here, we might as well just, you know, we come all this way. Let's just test them for everything. And they test each individual embryo. And out of these five, two were good. Hmm. And then um, so they said, you know, let's implant them both. And I was like, you know, leery about it. I said, well, you know, maybe she'll have triplets like I did. But they said, you know, this is what we recommend. And I said, okay, we'll we'll do it. Either way, we still had five that were frozen Mm -hmm. just in case. So they implanted two and then one took. And, um, you know, when we did come, you know, I, I'll backtrack a little bit. You know, I, I came here nine months ago and, uh, you know, the Republic of Georgia, obviously, you know, different language. So, you know, the agency, you know, very professional, very nice people. They have a translator and we met our, our surrogate. Um, she was very nice. I got very lucky to have such a, you know, uh, kind-hearted and very likable, uh, personable woman. Her name was Elena. And I mean, it's kind of awkward to, you know, meet somebody that's going to carry your child. You know, you don't know what to say. Just, <laughs> totally. You know, basic questions like, you know, uh, why, you know, why are you doing this? You know, tell me a little bit about yourself. And, you know, she ultimately told me, you know, that this was, a big help financially for her and her family. She had a daughter that was 10 at the time and a son that was two. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, through the translator, just kind of basic conversation. Uh, you know, I felt like, you know, she was a person that was very genuine in, in doing what she was doing. And, um, you know, when, 
you know, when, after our meeting, you know, when it was over, she hugged me and, you know, I thought that was really nice. I felt like, you know, there was like a good connection with her and, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, she was very sweet. And when I had my egg retrieval, you know, it's, it's a, it's a surgery, you know, they put you under, um, as I was coming out of anesthesia, she actually was in, she came into the room and, you know, she kind of like gave me a hug and like, you know, patted me on the back and everything. And, you know, she couldn't speak English, but, you know, you could tell by the way, you know, we had like one of those, you know, when you look at somebody and you know that they know what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it was a moment. It's so interesting because I don't think I've ever heard a story where you guys got to share that experience together as well. Because yeah. usually those are two very separate environments, two very, you know, with the retrieval and then the surrogate. These are two different doctors, two different environments, two different settings. So what a unique experience. Yeah, she actually happened to be there for her own, you know, because as the, you know, as a surrogate, she goes in like every few days when they're checking her cycle and, you know, to get her like her shots and, you know, blood drawn and all that stuff. So she happened to be there um, and she just asked, you know, to come in. And she she's actually the first person I saw when I woke up. Mm. That's awesome. So I thought that was you know, very, it was very sweet of her to, you know, and she didn't speak English. So she said, bye for hi and hi for bye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in, in attempting, you know, to speak to me. And I thought that was very sweet. Um, and, um, you know, throughout the whole process, you know, we would get, uh, you know, so when we, when they extracted you know, the, you know, they, they did the egg retrieval and then they finally fertilized, you know, the, the eggs and we had the embryos the, you know, they showed us a picture of the embryos. And then, so every, from the very first sonogram, we got like a, a picture and a video and, you know, we would send messages through, uh, so we had like, a like an agent for sort of the medical aspect and then an agent that was kind of dealt with like financials and logistics. Mm -hmm. So like the medical contact would send us videos and we would send videos and messages, you know, to the surrogate and, you know, the staff. And, uh, you know, every time she went in, they would give us a report. So just like if, you know, I were the one going in, um, I had every, all all the information uh, as they were seeing Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So you go back to the U.S. and you spend the rest of the pregnancy apart. Yes. <laughs> what was that like for you emotionally, just to be so far from this growing life that belongs to you? Well, I guess, um, you know, the, the most, uh, the thing that I think is the hardest is, you know, giving up control to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can't, uh, you can't call them at two o'clock in the morning and say, you know, are you having your, you know, eating your vegetables and taking your prenatals and <laughs> all these other things. Um, it, it, it was, it was hard. Uh, I would want to send messages to, you know, the coordinator like every day and say, Hey, what is she doing? How is she doing? And, and I, I would wait cause they would send me a message kind of like, cause she was going like every week in the beginning so I would wait and like every two to three days and I would literally count the days and say, okay, it's been two, three days. Let me just say, Hey, how mm-hmm. is she doing? Just tell her that we're thinking of her and, you know, we're praying for her and, um, you know, it would be like that. And then, um, so it was hard at first. I didn't think that I was going to be able to, to stand it. Cause you know, I, could, I at first I was just thinking about it. I couldn't sleep and, you know, I would be lying awake at night and wondering what she was doing. But then after a while, a while, I just said, you know, nothing has ever been in my control. So I have to kind of like just let it go and just go with the flow and, you know, let let things happen. Yeah. I have to trust in them that they're doing their best. And, and um, you know, she's going by what she says, and you know, that she is eating well and not doing anything that she shouldn't be. And I feel that, you know, they do something, it's a little different, like in a natural pregnancy, you know, you don't get your first kind of like sonogram uh, with images, like till you're like, well, you know, what is it, like four or five, six weeks. So yeah. with a surrogacy, they literally give you something every week. Mm-hmm. And once, um, 
the baby, uh, you know, it, you know, it was like a fetus and, you know, like full blown. I started getting every month 3D images. Hmm. So um, that and sonograms and videos. So it's a lot more. I guess that's the way that they make you feel like you're a little bit more part of the pregnancy. Yeah. And the 3Ds are, you know, so vivid. Once I saw that, you know, it was like 3D and like an actual baby with, you know, features features that were so vivid and clear. And I was like, okay, wow, this is actually happening. So I started to feel like a little bit more comfortable um, that, you know, this this could actually happen. Mm. And uh, like, I felt like I'm, you know, a part of the pregnancy. Yeah. I wondered too if you, you know, a lot of people who have had losses, especially similar time in their pregnancy, if you felt a little bit of relief at the nine weeks, or if it was completely different experience. Uh, Like what if I felt the loss? No, at at nine weeks in the surrogacy, if you were like, we're going to make it after nine weeks. Oh yeah, well, see, every day it was like, you know, let's, you know, if we make it to nine weeks, then we're that much further than I was in the last pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So once I reached the, the, you know, it was the ninth week, I said, okay, well, this is, this could happen. <laughs> once she, you know, reached twelve weeks, I said, oh wow, then this is this is really happening. And then you know, every, you know, every month, every week was like a milestone that I didn't achieve. In, in, you know, some of my other pregnancies. So I was like, okay, then, you know, this could happen. I, I, I always used to say that I was cautiously optimistic. Um, I'm, opti- you know, I'm happy. I was optimistic. I thought, you know, that it could happen, but I didn't allow myself to truly feel like the joy and, and happiness of pregnancy. And I didn't announce, I mean, like my close friends and family knew, but I didn't like announce it like over social media or anything mm-hmm. like that. Uh, because, you know, and, and I actually never announced any of my pregnancies, uh, other to like, you know, other than like my close friends and family anytime. And I'm kind of glad that I didn't because, uh, I know of, you know, quite a number of people that actually did and experienced losses and, and even just telling like, I would tell like my close relatives and then, you know, when I would have a loss and I would have to go and explain that to them that I had a loss. And it's like every time you, every person is asking you also, oh, how's, you know, how's your pregnancy going? And then you have to explain that to them every time. And it's like, you know, it's like you relive it every time. Hmm. So I felt it was a little easier just to, you know, not say anything hmm. until the very end. And we literally didn't announce it like till, once I had the baby in my arms, I posted something on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that that is a really, a really common and natural, you know, way to, I mean, it's a, in many ways, a, a defense mechanism and it can, it can serve us well and it can sometimes not serve us well. And I think that every, every woman's journey is so unique and they have to figure out what it looks like to navigate, you know, especially once you're talking about loss and infertility and, you know, these, these kinds of choices that you're having to make to be able to pursue your dream of having a child. There's a lot of complicated emotions and a lot of complicated, um, details that go into these kinds of paths. And I think that everyone has to really examine the extent to which they're willing to, you know, open up and share that with the world. Um, and it's just, it's just such a personal journey. Yeah, it's deeply personal. Um, there's so many aspects, uh, you know, there's the, the inadequacy that you feel like this is something seemingly so easy for, you know, from many to do. And then you feel like, you know, why isn't this happening for me? Uh, the issues with, you know, within your relationship, uh, just, you know, there's just so many aspects to, um, you know, and then, you know, the feeling of guilt that, you know, maybe I'm doing something wrong. You question everything you do, like literally, you know, there's certain things that you can't do while you're pregnant. And before I knew it would be like, Oh my God, maybe I shouldn't have eaten you know, that cheese, or maybe I should have not had that glass of wine, you know, before I knew I was pregnant. And, and none of these things were even a factor. Um, but mm-hmm. you start to question yourself and, um, you second guess every, everything that you do, because you think that, you know, maybe I, 
you know, did exercise to, you know, to vigorously and, and until you know what's, you know, what's really the problem. So it's, um, you know, there's so many, so many things there. And, you know, finally, I guess it's once I reached a point of acceptance and I said, okay, well, I know that, you know, this is what is happening. And also you also become like an expert in the field because, the other thing is when you are going to count these doctors and they're telling you the same thing, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong, or it's bad luck, it's bad luck, um, you start to question, you know, them and yourself and, you know, you research all these things. And, I mean, I, I like literally I could write a book about, you know, everything that you could possibly do in order to get pregnant, stay pregnant, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Uh, but I think, you know, I – it's it's good to know because once I knew, you know, what the issue was and how to like try to get past it, I kind of felt like, okay, well, you know, I can move on and maybe go on to the next, uh, you know, and now at this point, I can't even believe that she's here. Mm. You know, we've gone through the process, you know, the baby was born. I was in the delivery room, which was, uh, yeah, you're, 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 you're going too fast right now. You gotta, you gotta <laughs> tell us what that part was like. So you go back to Georgia. Yeah, This was just a few weeks ago. Yeah. So I go back to Georgia. Uh, so this is the other thing. So in the United States is the only place where they tell you the sex of the, of the embryo before, because of infanticide, you know, I guess, you know, before, you know, people yeah. would, um, they would terminate the pregnancy because it, you know, they wanted a particular sex. So they didn't tell us. So for all this time, we're thinking first, we don't know. Then they said it could be, uh, then they said, Oh, well it's 80%. It's a boy. So all this time we were thinking it was a boy. And, uh, you know, I, I even had a, like a, a little baby shower with some relatives and they gave me all boy things. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm preparing for a boy. Well, first I thought it was a girl. It was just a kind of like an inkling. And then they said it was a boy. And I was like, okay, let me get my, in, you know, the mindset of a boy and what boys like. And then, you know, once we got here, they said, well, it's a girl. And I said, but you have been saying this whole time it was a boy. <laughs> um, and then ultimately I said, you know what, I feel like everything has been, you know, God has been throwing me, you know, for a loop the whole time and nothing has ever been guaranteed. And I said, you know, as long as I get a healthy, healthy baby, it doesn't really matter. So uh, I had asked, um, you know, could I be in the delivery room? And, you know, that's something that you have to ask the surrogate, you know, whether or not they feel comfortable mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. And, um, you know, the surrogate, like, you know, she was a lovely person. She said, yeah, of course. And, you know, when I came back, you know, as soon as I got here, I, they actually said that the baby's going to be born the 31st of March. So we had gotten our tickets and everything. And then they said, no, the baby's coming sooner. So I changed my ticket and I came first. And, um, when I came, I said, you know, I would, you know, I want to see the surrogate again before the surgery, you know, the, you know, the, um, the C-section and luckily Paul had gotten here, you know, right before, uh, you know, she was going to go in. And when I saw her it was like so crazy because it had been nine months since I had seen her and she looked so pretty. And, you know, you know how women are the, and they always say they're most beautiful when they're pregnant. She was they're glowing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she just seemed like, I don't know, something about her, her, her eyes were like, you know, there was this there was a twinkle in her eyes and her skin looked so perfect and she was, she looked so beautiful to me. And, um, she let me touch her belly and, you know, we hugged and, you know, in our, you know, I've been practicing my Georgian and, you know, her, she's, you know, practiced a little bit of English, but, you know, with our interpreter, and, you know, she said that she was having a great pregnancy and that it wasn't, you know, like she wasn't uncomfortable. And it was funny. She said, that the baby loved apples. And I said, Oh, that's funny. The baby must know that, that she's a, a New Yorker because you know, we're from the big apple. <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, just like, you know, kind of funny, you know, back and forth, uh, conversation with her. And I asked her, I said, are you sure, you know, if I can be in the delivery room? And she says, yeah, no problem. And I was like, okay, great. And then, um, so, you know, come the day for the, you know, the scheduled C-section and, you know, we couldn't really sleep, but, we tried to get a little bit of rest and then, you know, we went to the hospital and it just, you know, they prepped me and, you know, I was in the, 
in the gown and everything. And I went in and literally it was so fast. Um, you know, she was there and she was, I mean, she's a trooper. She was smiling in such good spirits. And she's like, I just want to see the baby. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody was like excited to see the baby um, because, you know, we have made friends with all the staff and, you know, they said that we were like one of the nicest, <laughs> nicest uh, couples because, you know, I don't know, some people, I guess, you know, it's hard when you're going through this process. Sometimes, you know, the embryos don't take and people get a little bit, you know, they get frustrated and things like that. And people are, yeah, people are probably on edge and yeah, you know, and you know, not, not at their best. And sometimes, and Mm -hmm. and I get it. Um, but I was just like, you know, I always felt like I I didn't want to, don't want to rock the boat. Don't want to say anything to make them upset because I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. And, and I know that they have like, you know, basically my dream in their hands, you know, And I just wanted to be as like nice and as cordial and as happy as possible and to show them my appreciation, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, this is, I'm so appreciative for all all that they've done for us. But anyway, so, you know, we went to the hospital and so, you know, Paul was in the room. They had like a room there for us. And then, you know, they prepped me and I went in and like literally it happened within like five, 10 minutes um, you know, they, mm. they prepped her and, you know, they did the incision and, you know, they pulled out the baby and, um, I had, they said, you could take pictures and, uh, you know, one of the nurses took my phone and she recorded and, and I moved over and as they pulled her out, I saw it was a girl and I was like, Oh, it's a girl. And everybody was like, Oh, it's a girl. And, mm-hmm. um, it was so funny that the nurses, they put out happy birthday song. <laughs> <laughs> while they were you know cleaning the baby and you know she was crying and they were you know preparing her with that happy birthday music in the background it was so funny and it was uh <laughs> surreal to see her there in like and I can't even I get choked up because you know she she was real and and she looked like a little doll like like the little dolls I used to play with so perfect and you know she was my baby and um you know, and I also felt it was weird because, you know, they had just taken her out of her and the nurses were, you know, doing everything that they do. And I was kind of afraid, like I didn't want to get too close um, because, you know, you're in a sterile gown and everything. And, you know, they're like cleaning her up and they put her in all these blankets. And then they said, well, come on, let's go. And they like they whisked us over to the room and then they said, OK, now you you sit, you know, they didn't speak, you know, English that well, but they said, you sit. And I sat down and they, they gave me the baby. <laughs> hmm. And I was like, well, if, you know, as I walked in through the room, like, like I said, it was like 10, 15 minutes. Paul was like, he was like, wow, you're back so fast. And like, then the nurses came right behind me with the baby. And he was like, oh my God. <laughs> so it was it's the baby. It's our baby. <laughs> exactly. And they sat us, wow. you know, there's like a bed there and I sat down and, um, I had, you know, I wore one of those kind of like, what do you call those? Uh, it's like a maternity, like feeding, you know, kind of tank top so I could do the skin to skin. And they mm. put her on me and I held her and I was like, oh, wow, I have a baby. And it was, I was still kind of like in shock because it happened so fast. And uh, so I was like holding her and it was funny because, you know, all the nurses and all the doctors were like, come, let's take a picture. And everybody wanted to take a picture with us. Mm. And it was, uh, it was, it was crazy, but um, just, just a beautiful experience because like she was so cute and so little. Um, she was uh, six pounds, two ounces, but she was long. She was about 18.89 centimeters. Um, hmm. a cute little baby, uh, you know, everything that I hoped she would be, she was even cuter than I thought she would be. Like I knew she would be cute because, you know, all babies are beautiful, but I guess like looking at her and trying to see myself and trying to see Paul, uh, and that, you know, there's like similarities, like I was looking at him and I was like, Oh, I think she looks like you. Or maybe she looks like me. And we, we were just staring at her and it was, um, you know, I, I'm still thinking about the day. It was like, I I don't know. I get choked up because like, you really feel like, like joy, like, and and it's like a feeling that you feel in your, your whole being. And I hadn't felt joy in so long. And I kind of felt like 
you know, it finally happened for me. Hmm. And, um, you know, so she stayed in the hospital for like three days, four days. Um, you know, they, they do the checkups and everything. And, uh, we got to visit her, you know, twice a day. So I would go and spend like a couple of hours with her and, you know, Paul and I, you know, just go and change her diaper and, you know, be with her. And the, the surrogate was also there as well. Like, so it's like a, a woman's hospital essentially. So, so I would do, go are, they, the, are they breastfeeding is what's, what's the, yeah. So they don't, that's not really something that they do here. Um, I did ask, so I, because I had been pregnant before I was trying to breastfeed, um, you know, trying to pump and I had pumped and I had a little mm-hmm. bit, but then, you know, I wasn't really producing much and, you know, I didn't want to take any more meds than I had already taken. So I brought, a you know, a manual pump and I had asked the uh, coordinator if, you know, if the surrogate would be willing to pump. And she said, yeah, um, just bring the pump. But unfortunately she, she wasn't really producing any milk. Um, and mm-hmm. they don't do like donating like a, a breast milk here. It's not breast something, bank, yeah. Yeah, they, it's not something that they do. So, you know, I said, okay, well, what, you know, I have to feed my baby. So we'll give her the best formula that we can. And, you know, when I get back to the States, you know, I could always get some donated breast milk, but, um, you know, it's, uh, I was a little disappointed, but I said, you know, the, the formulas that they have are great and they, she'll, she'll get everything that she needs. And, um, she's, yeah you know, growing, she's already like 7.5 pounds now. So she's definitely growing. So how old is she now? A month and a day. Okay. Wow. So I want to ask you, you know, you've, this journey has been several years for you. You've kind of experienced every possible, you know, way of pursuing motherhood that exists. Um, when did you first feel like a mother? Um, well, I guess I, I've always felt like a mother with all my pregnancies, mm-hmm. even though um, I didn't actually give birth. Um, I experienced, you know, the loss and the grieving and the, uh, you know, I would, I had bought little things for them, little outfits, little toys. Uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't prepare a full nursery but I, you know, I would buy little things for them in, in the hopes of, you know, having, you know, being able to carry to term. So every time I was pregnant, I felt like a mother. I felt like, you know, I have a life inside of me that's growing. And this is something that is part of me and, you know, part of my husband. And, you know, so, you know, we we would buy flowers for them. And we had a special place that we would go to. Uh, so I guess, you know, at my first pregnancy, I felt like a mother, um, Mm. because I had hopes for them and dreams for them. And in my mind, even though, you know, they weren't born in my mind, I feel like maybe wherever they are, heaven or, you know, what be it that they are living their best life in, in whatever realm that is, and that they're happy and that they're with me and they're angels. And, um, you know, we have a special place that we would always go to. And um, it's a, you know, place by the beach. And, you know, we go and we talk to them and, you know, write poems. And I got like jewelry and nameplates and, you know, little keepsakes with their names. And mm-hmm. so um, I remember them and they're always with me. So I guess, you know, just that's a life. So I always felt like mm-hmm. as soon as I became pregnant that I already was a mother. And you could be a mother in different ways. You could be a mother yes. to an angel, a, a, you know, mother to, you know, a child that you've had. Um, so I guess, you know, now it's just I'm a mother in a different way to like a baby that I could physically see. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I've been a mother to an angel, you know, to many angels at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that 
makes me emotional and it's really beautiful to hear you talk about it that way because I think that, you know, that's something you allowed for yourself. You know, not everyone allows themselves to to feel that connection to the babies that we've lost. And it is a real gift to be able to do that um, and to be able to, to, like you said, they're with you. They're part of you. They they still belong to you just in a different way. What's your what's your daughter's name? So um, it's funny. I like the name Chloe and my husband did, uh, which is so funny. Uh, one time we were talking about names and I said, I like Chloe. He was like, Oh, I like that name too. Um, so her name is Chloe, uh, which means blooming flower in Greek. And, um, we named her Georgina in honor of Georgia. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, Georgia is, uh, you know, is named after St. George and George means to harvest. And, you know, our last name, Canella, means cinnamon. Mm. So it was very earthy. Yeah. If it was a boy, it was funny. We thought that uh, it was a boy. And my husband had picked Alexander, which is Defender of Men. And we were going to name him George, Alexander George Canella. And I ended up making some uh, nursery art with Alexander George Canella. So uh, we're going to have to make something for, for Chloe. Yeah. Maybe you can save that for Yes. <laughs> Yeah, you never know. You never know. Is there anything that you would say to women listening about this journey and the many turns it's taken? Maybe it was something that you, maybe a message you told yourself in the duration or some advice you wish you had gotten or something like that? Um, well, I guess what I would say is that don't get discouraged because there is, there's always a way to get, you know, your achieved goal, uh, you know, whether it be, uh, like through surrogacy, through IVF, through adoption to foster care, like you can have a family, um, some way. And if you're just hopeful and, um, there's so many people out there that are willing to help. And, um, I've met so many people, I guess what I would say is make sure that you like, don't keep it to yourself and if you know seek help or just maybe like a community I met uh, a lot of nice people on different like you know blogs and Facebook groups and you know like meetup groups lots of moms and you know at first I was like you know like you want to hold it in for yourself but once I started opening myself up I met like so many nice people um that were rooting for me and so happy that, you know, obviously we've gotten to this point, but also a support system. Mm. So I would say, you know, just, uh, just connect with other people and, uh, you know, you'll find that you're not alone. And the other thing is when you connect with other people, like they have different, um, you know, everybody has a different story, but there's, you know, there's some things, like I said, you become your own advocate for like, you know, for your medical care, because not that the doctors don't know what they're doing, but when you, you know, they see people day, day in, day out, and they kind of have like, you know, mm -hmm. kind of like a protocol, but your story is unique. So when you connect with other people, they could say, Hey, you know what? I tried this and it might work for you. And then, you know, you can go in and say, Hey, this is, this is something that I think that I should try and it just might work for you. So like, you know, connect with other, other people and you can see maybe that somebody's going through something similar and you know, you can help each other, at least give each other comfort. Yeah. Yeah. That's really beautiful. And, and so significant. Yeah. I made lots of friends. Like I thought, you know, uh, I, I work, I've been working virtual for quite a number of years. I do like marketing and I, you know, I work virtual. I used to work corporate and once I, you know, said, I, I want to have a family, then let me, let me work virtual. So, you know, I can stay home with the baby. And unfortunately I didn't have one, you know, till now, but I still work virtual. So I kind of lost that like kind of connection with, you know, kind of going into the office and having coworkers and all these people around me and like, once I met like all these people through this different like blogs and groups and things like that, I felt like, wow, you know, I'm a part of something again. And I, I have all these friends and hopefully friends that I, you know, could be there, you know, for, you know, my life and, and share my joy with, with my baby now yeah. and maybe some play dates. <laughs> mm. <laughs> some play dates. That's, that's always helpful. So you just got, you just got Chloe's passport today. When are you going yes. home with her? 
So we're leaving May 7th. Um, so uh, with the United States, they say about three to four weeks, but we got lucky and uh, they actually did it in about, I think it's like right at around, let's say almost three weeks. So, uh, you know, we're just going to be here. You know, we had anticipated a few more days. So like, let's say we anticipated about like four and a half weeks. So that's why we got it for the seventh. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we have about 10 more days here, which is fine. Um, it's a beautiful place. Um, you know, unfortunately with a baby, you can't really do much, but we take turns, uh, and you know, like I'll stay home and then, you know, Paul go out and you know do some things just to get out of the house. Uh, and then like vice versa. And when it's nice out, we go this, you know, to the park or a restaurant that's al fresco, like those kind of things that, you know, we can take her. Hmm. So, you know, we have uh, a few more days left and, and we found a lot of cute places to, you know, to, for the park. And there's like, uh, like, a like an outdoor market that you walk by this bridge and there's a river. And I mean, it, it's a beautiful city. So there's so many beautiful things to see here. Hmm. So we're trying to enjoy it as much as we can. And, um, you know, picking up little trinkets and little things along the way to, to share with her when she gets older. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an interesting That's gonna be so journey great. to, for her to start out her life this way with your entire history, but also just this little time that you guys have in um, the place where she grew. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. It's, uh, I mean, so this is apparently the place where the, the oldest wine producing place, cultivating place in the world. Uh, I think it's like something like, I think like 8,000 years or something, they've been cultivating wine. Uh, the, so they have like a big wine culture, wines, and uh, there's also, it's on, it's on the Silk Road. So they have a mixture of like Far East Asian. They were conquered by the Turks. Uh, also the, you know, the Soviet occupation. So the food here is like a mixture of like, you know, what you think of like kind of like Asian, Far East Asian mm. dumplings and like Turkish kebabs and spices and, uh, you know, cured fish and uh, so many different like, you know, the, the food is, is wonderful and the people are so nice. They're, they're saying they have a saying that says that anybody comes, anybody that comes to Georgia is like visiting their home. Mm. So there anybody that comes here, they're honored to have you here. So and, and people here are so incredibly nice. Mm. And, um, that's something that I, I really enjoyed about the people here and why we felt comfortable that we chose Georgia because, uh, they're just so friendly and so likable and, um, just, there's just something about, uh, everybody is so easygoing and it's actually quite hip. It's like rustic, but it's also like it's old world in certain parts and other parts are like, you know, very hip. Like where she was born, Batumi, is uh, like they, they're saying it's going to be like the next Ibiza. And like there's like all these nightclubs and casinos there and, and like it's on the beach of the Black Sea. Mm-hmm. And then here at Tbilisi is like a lot of medieval like sort of kind of castles and, and churches and uh, you know, it's just very interesting, like just a mix of all the different cultures, uh, even the language, the language they say that derived from Aramaic. And, and it looks like the the lettering looks so, so pretty. It looks like almost like flowers, like it's just so beautiful. So yeah. it's a very interesting place for her to come from. Yeah. So I try to collect things for, you know, like a little book and images and things for her to see when she grows up and say, you know, wow, I came from somewhere that was very interesting. Yeah, and you can take her back there and that can be something that is bonding and connecting for you and and for her to that to that culture and experience. Exactly. Yeah, that's lovely. Well, Sybil, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it is just such a beautiful addition to, you know, to the to the collection of stories that we have, you know, we really want to show that there are so many different ways to become a mother and your journey has been really challenging and really unique, but also really beautiful. So thank you for being so open and vulnerable with us about it. Well, thank you so much for having me. You know, I've really enjoyed speaking with you and I feel like, um, I guess this was my purpose. Um, you know, I've reached out to many people, um, because of, you know, what has happened to me. And a lot of people have reached out to me. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I have so many files of like all the treatments and all the things that I've done. 
And I've been, you know, kind of like helping people, uh, you know, through their journey. And I feel like maybe this might be something that, you know, maybe in the long run, it I can, you know, do something like, I don't know, maybe as a liaison or like some sort of consultant mm. uh, to help other people doing, you know, in a similar situation, you know, being yeah. through this journey, you know, I started doing like uh, maternity photography. Uh, I did like volunteer doula work. Uh, I've been in a few deliveries just so I could vicariously feel what it's like to do, mm. uh, you know, to yeah. be in the situation. And um I feel really blessed that, you know, that I guess, you know, sometimes these things happen to you for a reason. And maybe this is this is why maybe I should be helping other people. Yeah. Well, that's a beautiful way to to really integrate your experience. I love that. All right. Thank you so much, Sybil. Thank you so much for having me. And, uh, you know, I look forward to looking at your your beautiful pictures on your feed. It's uh, very (laughs) inspiring to me. That's great. (laughs) That's great to hear. Yeah. Thanks, Sybil. Thanks for listening to Mother Birth Today. If you want to be a bigger part of our community, you can follow us on Instagram at motherbirth.co or connect with us on Facebook, where we have all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff going on. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and rate us in iTunes, which allows other people to find us and helps the show to grow. I think it goes without saying, but Mother Birth is a personal podcast created by Lara Melissa. It's intended as general information. It doesn't constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care. If you're pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period.